Will you open your Bibles, please, to the book of Ecclesiastes? The book of Ecclesiastes. In our study so far, we have finished the first two chapters. The search for the path of life under the sun. When I was a student in college, about once a year they would have one of the dominies from the local uh, churches around there come into the college and preach in their chapel, and uh, he would bring his, quote, famous message on the book of Ecclesiastes. And he would uh, deal with the uh, fact that Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes was searching for the path of wisdom. And he'd read the few verses connected with that, and jump way over to the chapter 12 where it tells you to remember your creator in the days of your youth. And that was a summary of his message. He left out the heart of the book. Of course, he didn't have time. They only gave him a half an hour, and that's about all they felt the book of Ecclesiastes was worth. But right in the middle of this book, there's a tremendous message. You see, in his search for the path of life, Solomon came to that tremendous conclusion that we saw last week, that God has given to us our life under the sun. And having introduced that very thought, he now moves on. And in chapters 3 through 5, he presents to us his second message concerning God's sovereign control of life under the sun. Now in chapters 3 through 5, he has three things to say, basically. He's going to point out to us that God's inclusive control of life under the sun. And then he's going to answer some of those things that you're still asking yourselves, the contradictions that we see in the world that seem to challenge God's control of life under the sun. And by the way, some of those questions that they're still throwing at you in your offices and in your shops and so forth, they were throwing it way, way back there when this book was written. And they've been answered. And the answers are written for us there in the end of chapter 4 and in chapter 5, uh, in the end of chapter 3 and in chapter 4 of this book. And then he concludes his discussion of God's sovereign control of life under the sun by indicating certain cautions. He's cautioning us concerning the way we relate to the God who controls this life under the sun. Now this morning... We want to begin the first segment of this second section. And it has to do with that subject. God controls life under the sun. And it begins with chapter 3, verse 1. And we had hoped to get through chapter, through verse 15, but we'll see. I doubt if we'll make that today, but we'll go as far as our time permits. The first thing that he does as he brings us this is that he points out to us in verses 1 to 8 that life 
is under the control of God. Will you read these verses with me? Beginning in chapter 3, verse 1. There is an appointed time for everything. And there is a time for every event under heaven. A time to give birth, a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to uproot what is planted, a time to kill, and a time to heal. That means to sew up a wound. A time to tear down, a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to throw stones, and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace, and a time to shun embracing. That's a special verse for those that are dating. A time to search, and a time to give up as lost. A time to tear apart, and a time to sew together. A time to be silent, and a time to speak. A verse especially for women. Oh, pardon me, men also. A time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Now, it's interesting. As you read the things that men have said and have written about these verses, One of them is from the viewpoint of the humorist. The, pardon me, humorist. That's right, it's humorous. <laughs> that is simply that this passage of Scripture, what it's giving to you is a challenge to do everything in its proper time. Those who insist on man's inalienable right to freedom When they read this verse, they say, this verse is pointing out the obvious. It is a challenge to set up proper priorities in our daily lives. Now, there are some others who they, they want to let God have a little bit to do with what's going on. They're not ready to say, look at I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my own soul. They think that God has a little bit to do with it. But as they read this passage, they say, nevertheless, you see, in this passage, God is urging men not to live haphazardly, but that they should do things in their proper time, to plan one's life, and to carry on, make time for everything, and to carry on one's life in an orderly fashion. Now, the problem with their interpretation of these verses is found, for example, right there in, in verse 2. Look what it says. 
a time to give birth. Uh, <clears throat> How many of you had anything to do about that? Huh? Raise your hand, please. See? A time to die. Have you marked it out on your calendar when it's going to be? Have you uh, made your appointment with the Grim Reaper? Huh? A time to kill. Does God ever give that to any man? A time to hate. Is that ever in man's prerogative? You see, this list contains things which have never been the prerogative of the individual and never will be. This is not talking about arranging your time properly. It's got a much greater message than that. Then others, as they read this passage, they look at it from the viewpoint of fatalism. They tell us a pattern for each individual life under the sun has been set. And it does not really matter what one tries to do. Qui sera, sera. What will be, will be. Now, most people don't have a set philosophy of this, just some kind of a, a vague idea in their mind. And they point out that these verses indicate that life is going to be composed of good and bad, but there's really nothing one can do about it. There's a time to be born. There's also a time to die. There's a time for killing, and there's a time for healing up. There's a time for laughing. There's a time for weeping. There's a time for mourning. There's a time for dancing. Whatever may be one's skills or whatever initiative one takes, one's real master is the inexorable seasons and times that have been set in our lives. And we are locked into these things and can't get out. Nothing can free one from their pressures or their dictations. We dance to tunes that we do not make up, but that are made up for us by faith. Some even have this as the basis of their religion, as the, as the Hindus and the Buddhists do. And they believe that we are locked into the endless cycles of life. See? And there's no way out. And Buddha, Gautama Buddha got his reputation when one day sitting under the bow tree he came up with, I think it was five or eight steps, I forget which, that man, if he would follow, would help him endure the endless cycles of life. But then he offered no real release from these cycles. They were all uh, in the hands of fate. There are some from the Western world who advocate what they call scientific determination. You touch the first domino, all the dominoes will fall. See? And the haphazard acts of men are really predetermined by the chemistry and the events of the moment that have been set up by the moment before. And some have even misunderstood the great doctrine of predestination. 
They say God's decrees have locked men into a set pattern of life beyond his choice for control. That's what men say about this passage. What does the author of the book, what does the coalesce, the preacher, have to say about it all? Well, first of all, you notice there in verse 1, in verse 1 he says, there is an appointed time for everything. Now, those of you that have the King James Version, you look through that verse in vain to find the word appointed. The King James read, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. Why did the translators of the New American Standard add the word appointed? They added it because it came from the context. You see, when, when Solomon wrote this little message in the book of Ecclesiastes, he did not stop at the end of chapter 2 and then write chapter 3. This is one single paragraph. The chapters and verses have been added by men to try to help us find our way around in the book, and they have a good purpose for that. But don't let them confuse the message. You see, what he is saying here in chapter 3 comes out of his conclusion drawn in chapter, in verse 24 and 26, after his search for the path of light. You notice up in verse 24, chapter 2, verse 24, he says, there is nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. This also have I seen, I hear it is, that it is from the hand of God. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him? See? For to a person who is good in his sight, that person who has believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and has been washed from his sins in the blood of Christ and clothed in the righteousness of Christ. To the person who is good in his sight, he has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. See, what he's been saying is that this life that you and I have on this earth under the sun is the gift of God to us. And now he is emphasizing that truth as he points out to here that God has appointed, he says, our times and our season. God did not give you merely the principle of life within you. He did not just make you alive. That is not all that God has done. God has also planned your life as you will live it, beginning with your birth until your death. God has planned your life for you. Life under the sun, not the principle of life within us, but the life that we live under the sun is under the control of God. That's the great thing he wants us to see. You know, this is a precious truth. 
It's an amplification of a passage that I love back in the Psalms. Will you turn with me to Psalm 31? Psalm 31. In Psalm 31, you'll notice that he, the psalmist begins, In thee, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me not be ashamed. In thy righteousness deliver me, incline thine ear to me, rescue me early. Be thou, my, be thou to me a rock of strength, a stronghold to save me. You see, the psalmist was in peril. And he was concerned whether he was going to be crushed by the enemies, crushed by the pressures of life, crushed by the things that were happening to him. In the midst of the psalm, he says this wonderful thing. Look at verse 14. But as for me, I trust in thee, O Lord. I say, thou art my God. My times are in thy hand. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't it wonderful to know that not only you and I in our persons are in his hand, but the whole time we'll be on this earth, every moment of that time is in his hand. It's in his control. Oh, how many times in the moment of sorrow, in the moment of stress, in the moment of I think that things were going to overwhelm us completely, how wonderful it is to look up and to say, my time are in my hand. As to what that means, turn with me to Psalm 139. And in Psalm 139, beginning with verse 1, we have a, we have a tremendous thought presented to us. There we read, O Lord, beginning with verse 1, Thou hast searched me and known me. Thou dost know when I sit down and when I rise up. Isn't that something? For those of you that write blue cards and say, please don't have us stand up, God knows about it. <laughs> he knows about how your joints creak when you get up. He knows how about how, to f how you feel there on your feet and your knees are waggling under you like mine are right now. He knows all about it. God knows every single detail of our life. He sees it all. He takes all of it into account. It is all part of his control of our life under the sun. Look at verse 3. Thou dost scrutinize my path and my lying down and art intimately acquainted with all my ways. I like that. He looks at my ways every moment of my days with his microscope and he sees every detail. You know, yesterday I had so many hairs on my head and the Bible tells me that God counted them. When I finished combing my hair this morning, I noticed in my comb that there are some less 
They're no longer in my hair. And God's computer has calculated them. He is intimately knowledgeable and deeply involved in every detail of our life. Listen, there is nothing too small in your life for God. He cares and he's concerned and he's involved in all of it. The other day, I had lost, laid something aside that uh, it's of insignificant value and is of not very much importance at all. But I wanted it. What a joy it was to be able to look up into his eyes and say, Lord, help me find it. And he did. That happened to be the time for finding things. See? There's another time for casting things away when I look up and say, Lord, help me find it. And I can almost hear him say, you don't need it. <laughs> I know what you need. I'm in control. I am the God who takes care of it all. That's what he wants us to see. Look at the next part. Even before there is a word in my mouth, behold, O Lord, thou knowest it all. Most of us, you know, we never know what we're going to say until we say it. God knows all about it before it's said. And oh, sometimes how I long for him to put his hand over my mouth and shut it up. And how often we need it. God knows the whole business. Verse 5, thou hast enclosed me behind and before. He's put, a, he's put a barrier. He's hedged me in from behind and from the forth, and the enemies can't get at me. God is in charge of my life and laid thy hand upon me, for such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. I don't understand this. I don't know how to explain it. We're not locked in to some cold system of fate. We are in the hands of a God who is loving, who is sovereign, who is omniscient. He knows everything. He knows everything that will happen, everything that could happen. He's the one that can answer the question, what would have happened if Adam hadn't sinned? He could answer the question, what would have happened if Washington had not crossed the Delaware? He knows all of those things. He knows everything there is to know. And from his infinite wisdom, he conducts me in this life. Oh, hallelujah, for the fact that I rest in the hands of a God who is infinitely holy. I rest in the hands of a God who is infinitely true. He never makes a mistake. He knows the correct path. He knows what is true. He knows how to carry it out. I rest in the hands of a God who is infinitely loving my heavenly Father, and he is in control of my life. This is what the Koalet is saying. As it says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, he does all things according to the counsel of his own will. Hallelujah. But then he asks a question. 
You notice there in verse 9, please, of the text. He asks this. He says, what profit is there to the worker for that in which he toils? See, this is his question that he has as he moves on now to his second point. Life is given to man by God. If that's true, if God has planned our times and our seasons, then what is left for us to do? If it is all cut and dry, pre-planned from the beginning, what then can I do about it? I might just as well follow my own chemistry, do my own thing, get my own kicks, and let the great plan roll on. What I do can't change it. What profit is there in what I do? If you look back, please, you'll notice in chapter 1, he asked this question before this. He starts out with this question in verse 3. He says, what advantage or what profit has, does a man have in all his work which he does under the sun? He asked that question way then. His answer was in verse 4. A generation comes and a generation goes. What he's saying is that whatever is left over of your life after you have paid all your debts and out of all that you've gained, what's left over, why the next generation takes it up. Your heirs move in and pick up the marbles. That's what he said as he observed and he searched out the path for life. But now, now confronted with this message that he has just given that God gives life to men. He is augmenting his answer. He is pointing out that although God controls time, controls every event in our life, our lives are in his hands, God also has given us tasks to perform. For that's his answer. And if you look at it, please, there in verse 10, God give man, gives man his task. Look at verse 10. I have seen the task which God has given the sons of men with which to occupy themselves. The word in the King James, you'll notice, is the word travail. God does sometimes bring sore trials into our lives. But in the Hebrew, the word is simply a job to do. God gives each one of us a job to do. Will you turn with me to a very familiar passage? We quote it all the time, but let's look at it. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Let's refresh our memory upon a, of a great truth. Familiar as it may be, but let's impress it upon ourselves this morning. Ephesians chapter 2. Beginning with verse 8, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. That's how you're saved. 
You come into God's great salvation by simple faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. By grace have we been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not the result of works that anyone should boast. You and I are never saved. Our life is not made safe on this earth by our works. Our life is not made safe through all eternity by our works. God controls our times. Well then, are we just go ahead and do what we please? Thing, according to our own chemistry, our own desires, our own thing, our own flings? Look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship. That's the word for masterpiece. God is sculpturing our lives as his great masterpieces that are going to be displayed through all eternity. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. See that? And when did God decide these works? Look at it. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And he tells you, I'm going to give you a time to be born, a time to die, a time uh, to tear down, and a time to build out, a time to mourn, a time to dance, a time to throw stones, a time to gather stones, a time to embrace, a time to shun embracing, a time to search, and a time to give up as lost, a time to keep, and a time to throw away. I'm going to move into your life, and I'm going to give you these times. There, you're not going to be controlled by these times. I'm going to control you in these times. I'm going to guide your life you might do on this earth the task that I want you to do. He gives to man his task. Oh, dear ones, our time is gone this morning. I'd like to go on into this verse, but you know, that next verse is so precious, I'm going to take the time next week to go through it. I'm not going to rush through it in the last few moments here. But I want you to see a great and precious truth as you come to think of this. Will you turn with me in closing this morning to Psalm 32? Psalm 32. Psalm 32. In Psalm 32, he talks about the justification, the making of David, God's good man. He says there in verse 1, How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. Oh, then he adds, look at it. In verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. That's what he promises. 
He says, I'll wash your sins away. I'll forgive your iniquity. You know, I can't help it this morning. You've got you to move ahead in one verse with me. Two, a few verses. Quickly, back to the Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, verse 14. Let's look at it. There's a precious thought there. Something that made me dance this week. Look at verse 14. I know that everything God does will remain forever. When I was reading that in my study yesterday morning, you know, I just got up, I had to just swing around that room with joy. Everything that God does is done forever. My sin, all oh, the bliss of this wonderful thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, was laid to his cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Why? Because everything God does is forever. And when he took my sin, he cast it behind his back forever. He put it in the depths of the sea forever. He erased it forever. Neither Satan nor demon nor even my mind can dig it up again and bring it against me. For he has put it away forever. Hallelujah. Praise God for that wonderful thing. And then he says, I will guide you. I have set up the times. I'm going to bring these times to pass in your life. And I will guide you with my eye upon you. I will see to it that these things take place in your life. I will guide you there. You know, when I was a young boy, <clears throat> My, uh, my dad and mother bought a home in Hawthorne, New Jersey. And we went out to see that house. Have you ever seen a newly built home? Beautiful. But as you stood on the front porch where the lawn was supposed to be, there was rocks. We walked through the house and stood on the back porch, and where the lawn was supposed to be in the back porch, there was rocks. I mean rocks. I didn't see anything like it in my journey to Israel. I mean rocks all over the place. Millions of them, it seemed to me. And as I stood there in the back porch, my dad came and he laid his hand on my shoulder and he said, Harold, he said, what have you got to do? I looked at him and I said, Dad, uh, you know, I'm involved with that football team. He said, yeah, I know that. Dad, there, there, you know, there's this girl. He said, yeah, I know that. I said, Dad, uh, you know how much you're pressuring me. You don't like my grades. Dad, I got studies to do for school. He said, yeah, I know it. I didn't think you did. Uh, Dad, you know, a guy's got to eat. And Dad, I'm a growing boy. I need to sleep. He smiled. He said, yeah, that's true. Harold, he says, I want you to keep up your football. Enjoy your date. Study hard. Eat all your mom will give you. 
So he can't give you enough. Sleep what you need. And son, it's a time to throw away rocks. <laughs> and he son, said, son, you have 24 hours in each day. Now, he said, I'm not going to put the pressures onto you as a win, but I want you out here every day working on these rocks. I'll help you, and I'll keep my eye on you. That was the part that interested me. Mm -hmm. In fact, I reached back where I had had it applied before and knew what he meant. I went out there. I took care of the football. I took care of the girl. I took care of all the rest of it. I got some time in to throw those rocks away. One day my dad came out and he said, Harold, you're not making much progress. He said, I told you I'd watch you and I watched you. You're not doing very well. He said, the, the method you're using isn't the right one. I got something for you that'll help you. And he went in the garage and wheeled out a wheelbarrow. He said, you put him into this. Don't put too many. You lift it up, take it over to where you're to dump it, and you can move them much quicker than one at a time. Dear ones, God has put us on this earth. He brings times into our lives. All kinds of times. And he keeps his eye upon us. And he says, you've got to have time for this and for that and for the other thing. But here's the task I gave you. I have given you the IQ you need. I have given you the talents you need. I have given you the spiritual gifts you need. I have given you the time and the opportunity to do what I want you to do. Now go do it. And I'll be with you. I'll be working with you. I'll guide you. If you start doing something that isn't the right way, I'll help you. I'll show you the better way to do it. I'll give you my plan. Just walk with me. Through all the times that I have planned for you. And stay out the task I've given you. And do it. You see, God has planned everything. But you're important, and I'm important. And in his plan, he planned what I would do, what I could do, what even in my own weakness I can do with him helping me. And I'm not just a pawn moved around. I'm an instrument in his hand to accomplish his task that he has given to me. And praise the Lord, my times are in his hand and in his control. 
You're not alone. You're not out battling life alone. You're not facing this situation alone. You're not facing this sickness, this cancer. You're not facing this problem, this business decision. You're not facing it alone. God's with you. He planned it. He's given you the IQ you need, the talents you need, the abilities you need, the spiritual gifts you need. He's given it to you. And he'll work through you. Trust him. Trust him. Trusting Jesus. That is all. Trusting as the moments come, as this time comes and that time comes. Trusting him as the moments fly, as this time goes and that time goes. Trusting him, whate'er betide. Trusting Jesus. That is all. Shall we pray? Oh, Lord, bring this challenge to our hearts in a way that will glorify your precious name. There are lives here that are wondering whether it's worth it or not. There are people here who say, what I've got to face today, I don't know how I can do it or what I can do. Oh, God, we thank you that our times are in your hands. And if we will but lean back upon you, as the, as the preacher has told us, if we'll but fear you, if we'll but keep your commandments, if we'll just but trust your justice, you will guide us with your eye upon us and fulfill your works in our lives and our lives under the sun will be profitable for all eternity. We thank you for this. Hope, fill our hearts with it, we pray. In Jesus' name, while every head is bowed,